Here we go, here we go. Thanks for coming on a Saturday. Fold your hands, close your eyes, let's pray. Right from the Dead Sea Scrolls. You couldn't have a higher level authority than a couple of shepherd kids throwing rocks into clay jars. So here we go. I thank you, O Lord, for you have placed my soul in the bundle of the living. Amen. The very, hymn number two from the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Thanksgiving scroll, that's beautiful. I thank you that you've bundled me up with folks that are living. That's sort of what we did last week. You got all bundled up. Can you remember anything at all? Anybody remember anything besides that there were pink sprinkled donuts? Did, were there gluten-free donuts today? Love Val Gady, Mary, they're the best. Can you remember anything? Into. Into, thank you so much. And the big thing about into and its counterpart, what's its counterpart? The other side was in. You seminary guys, preposition of motion, preposition of location, right? So into and in, then you remember we drew your family portrait. Yes, do you remember? The Greek word, we did a little Greek last week. What's the word for it? Necros, thank you very much. So this is the talk of zombies, right? Necros, that's Ephesians 2, that's the living dead. Don't you know you were dead in your trespasses and sins? And it's, I gave you your picture for your Christmas card. That's uh, a technical term for um, the worms are eating you, which then would put a cap on you're deciding for Christ. Uh, dead people don't decide very much at all. They just are dead. So there's necros, that's where we start. And you remember then, it talks about this, again, farther on, as being under the influence of the demons, the powers, the principalities, the spirits of the air. That's all the way of saying, um, if you're not with Jesus, then you're with something else. So that was good. We had into as motion and in, and in what? Do you remember what that was? You're in Christ, very nicely played. And then Romans 6 told you what that meant. So it gave you a little history of Christ. Uh, or it, it gave you a little bit of the history of Christ. So you remember, you're baptized into his death, resurrection, new life, glory, and there's one more that I'm forgetting because I think there are five there. Burial, thank you very much, Easter Vigil fan there, that's good. So if it happened to Jesus, it happened to you. When you come to Easter Vigil, that'd be the day that you'd join, so way out um, in April, March, end of March, beginning of April, you come to the vigil and we read the old stories but you hear three men in the fiery furnace and that's your story, that's somebody else's story, that's your story. Going through the Red Sea, that's your story, that's how it works. So you're, you were baptized, and this might be the biggest thing of all, that you were baptized, passive verb. Jesus did something to you. You were baptized into Christ, and now you're in Christ. And in the early church, in Christ then becomes the name for Christians, right? So how are you doing? You doing okay? Kind of remember this, right? But we don't want to just talk about that in theory. We want to talk about the payoff for that today. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of give that a try for all the ways that the church has talked about that. But first, do you have questions about anything? I had a few very brave questions. So, um, we could do those. You have questions about anything else? Otherwise, you can write things down. I don't know if you can write things down. I'm a little nervous if you start writing questions. Why is my copay on my health care so high? That kind of stuff. No, that's, not, that's a different conversation. You have to see Marcus Nelson about that. That's the guy you want to talk to. So, well, I didn't, um, maybe, you could, maybe you could grab a Bible and have the person next to you help you. If you could find um, 1 Corinthians Six, that would be nice. So that's, you know, five-eighths of an inch from the back, from the right, from the, from the back. First, first Corinthians six, uh, and then go to about verse 19 and 20. So help your next door neighbor. You got a, you got a number on that, Carol? There you go, first Corinthians, you're doing well. 
Oh, chapter six? Oh, no. Yep, keep going. 954. In your company issued Bible. You get this in a gold watch if you stick around for 50 years. Well, <laughs> March last year. Hey, I should have had that last week, right? That's right. Are you the, are you the longest member here ever? Um, probably the longest member that was baptized. Yes. Exhibit A. This is a, you, you could grow up to be like Marge someday, which would actually be a very, very nice thing if that could happen to you. That very, you would be very nice. Chapter 6, verse 17 is where? What page is that? Nine? Five? Five. Nine, five, five, nine, five, four. You got it? So again, this is, this is um, you know, you remember last week uh, in Romans 6, Paul had this thing. Don't you know that if you were baptized, you were buried with Christ, rose with Christ, live in new glory with Christ? Here he is again, same thing. Everybody knows this, don't you know? He says this later about the Lord's Supper. You're reasonable people. You're rational people. You're, you, live, you live in fancy cities. Don't you know? Well, here's another one. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that? Don't you know you're a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Don't you know you're a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? There's so much going on there. So God puts his Holy Spirit in you, and it stays. Crazy stuff. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. So now this is a question of identity. There's all sorts of talk about identity and true identities and who am I and why am I here and where did I come from and where am I going? All these questions about identity. The church says... The scriptures say your primary identity is temple of God. Now, later I'm going to tell you it's other things too. But that would then ask the question of when did you ever become the temple of God? Now, does anybody, can anybody remember the temple story of the temple being built? Anybody got that in their head? First Corinthians, or I'm first Corinthians. First Kings 8 and 9, everybody, everybody remember the Sunday school story? In Hebrew it says, Solomon was there in a hard hat and rubber boots. And they were just ready to open the door. And you can look this up later. 1 Corinthians 8 9. Did anybody remember to invite the baby Jesus? That's roughly what it says. And uh, because since it's his house, we should make sure to invite. If you have an open house, you should open it to the Lord. So he says, he looks up at heaven and he says, you're a great big God. And even though we did our best, this is just a tiny little building. So how do we know that you'll show up? Which is the same sort of question you should ask about Sunday morning down here. How do we know that you'll show up? Because otherwise we're just going through the motions. And then the Lord replies, super interesting, don't worry, I will put my name there. And we talked about this last week, that you have a baptism, uh, you, do, you make a disciple. You remember we did this? We, we were, I wonder what's on the backside. Nothing. Oh yes, there is something. Those people. Uh, you remember, you make a disciple, that's where we started. You make disciples by baptizing and teaching. It's just like baking bread. And you use water in the name. Now things get interesting. Because the name of God is all you've got. That's why we pray, Our Father, hallowed be thy name. That's why the first and second commandment are God in his name. If you want to get to God, you use his name. Now the interesting thing is, wherever God puts his name, that's where he lives. It was a remarkable kind of stuff. Where God puts his name, he lives, he moves in, he owns, not rents, right? He takes control, he makes good use. We were in, uh, we went to Greece and uh, Turkey a few years ago with people from St. John. 
our guide, a very lovely Greek woman named Calliope, the, right, the goddess of poetry, the muses, said offhandedly, in orthodoxy, you don't exist until you're baptized. Kind of remarkable thing. You don't exist until you're baptized. You're nothing until the Lord moves in. Now you have in front of you a very, very long bit from the vigil from last year. Can you just pick that up for a moment? Lest you think I'm making this up. This is how the church has always understood baptism. Always. Right? And here it is, right from the beginning. This is the one that says, serves the holy baptism on the left. Have you got it? The fathers of the church taught that this shift in ownership occurred at our baptism when the celebrant marked us with the sign of the cross. So long ago, far away, Marge was the very first one. Well, last one. <laughs> Somebody marked her with the sign of the cross. And when they did that, everything changed. Now you remember the, 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 the small catechism says, when you wake up in the morning, make the sign of the Holy Cross in the name of the Father. So sometimes I bump into Lutherans who resist this. They can't quite imagine it. If you want the demons to flee, make the sign of the cross. If you want to remember your baptism, make the sign of the cross. If you want things to go well today, make the sign of the cross. If you're in the playoffs tonight and the relief pitcher has come in and is throwing 103 miles an hour but doesn't have much control, you should make the sign of the cross. <laughs> Baseball been very, very good. Okay, never mind. So, um, he marks us with the sign of the cross. They used the Greek word sphragos to name both the baptismal seal and the sign of the cross, the term that was pregnant with meaning about discipleships. That's what we're trying to do. I told you, you know, last week, we don't need any more members. We're full up with members. We're really keen to get disciples. We don't need one more name to chase. We're super interested if you would like to be a disciple of Jesus. In the ancient world, asphragus was a sign of ownership. Look at that. Like the temple, I move in, this is my temple in Jerusalem. Don't you know you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Look, if you put the sphragos on, if you put it on, then you own it. In the ancient world, a sphragos was a sign of ownership that a person placed on his possessions. Don't you know you belong to Christ, you're not your own, glorify God in your body. All this is coming together. For example, a shepherd, this is good, marked his sheep as his property with a brand that he called the Sphragos. And Roman generals claimed recruits by tattooing a Sphragos on their forearms, usually an abbreviated form of his name. There's all these people who got their tattoos uh, in Jerusalem on their forearms when we went here a few months ago. Crazy people, Kirby. So, uh, she, was in good she was, did you get one too? You too? Oh, the miscreants are out to force. They're beautiful. The generals claimed him by tattooing them on their forearms, usually abbreviated form of his name, abbreviated form of his name. Were you baptized into Christ? An abbreviated form of the name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see all this stuff fits together? Ah, good, okay. It, the Sragas not only had a declaration of ownership, it also brought benefits, ah, oh, look at that, to those who that it marked. A shepherd protected and provided for those sheep that carried the brand. The general pledged loyalty and support to the soldiers who wore a sign. And you remember last week we went to the very last uh, we have, we're to the very last chapter of scripture, Revelation 22, 14 or something like that. And you remember that on the last day, it says, you will see Jesus' face and he will see his mark on your forehead. That's how he'll sort sheep and goats. 
on the last day, he sorts them by his sragas, right? This is why when we bless kids, we put a sign on them, you know, toward, toward the Holy Supper, right? You're, you've been tattooed right here. And while you may not see it, angels and demons see it. And so I gave you Chrysostom last week who said, now that you've been baptized, the devil can never attack you directly. He gets close, but he always has to turn his head. The, it's like lightning coming from your forehead. He says it's too bright for him to bear. So temptation is always a glancing blow for you. This is your protection, right? The devil can never give you anything full force. He gets close to you and he has to dodge away. It's too painful. The fathers of the church borrowed from the ancient practice of branding sheep and soldiers to explain how the church carried us into, into baptism. They taught that Christ used the sign of the cross to incorporate new believers into the flock. There you go. Receive the sign of the Holy Cross, both upon your forehead and upon your heart, to mark you as one redeemed by Christ crucified. We say that right after we say, come out, you unclean spirit, and make room for the Holy Spirit. So whether you know it or not, there's an exorcism. Come out, you, holy, come out, you unclean spirit. So you empty the child or the person of any evil. And then remembering the story about the, the demon who was cast out and he wandered around, then he came back and his, where he'd been, the man had had the demons spill out, but he didn't put the Holy Spirit back in. And so he, he got seven of his demon, demon buddies and they moved in. And then he said, eight, the holy number, used demonically. He had more trouble than he ever had before. So exorcism, you cast the demon out. Sign of the cross, you put the Holy Spirit in. You mark this as Christ's child. Invited them. Let's see, where was I? St. Cyril of Jerusalem addressed the candidates for baptism. Invited them to come receive the sacramental seal so that you may be easily recognized by your master. Be numbered among the holy and spiritual flock of Christ so that you be set at his right hand and inherit the life prepared for you. The father also taught that the shepherd's brand protected the sheep from danger. The sign of the cross defends us from spiritual enemies. If you fortify yourself with the sragas, said Gregory Nazarene. <laughs> Nazarene. I always, I want to say it um, the other way. Nazianzen. I learned Nazianzas. And secure yourself for the future with the best and strongest of aids, being signed both in body and in soul with the anointing. What then can happen to you? And what are you worried about? But if you're unmarked, the very last line, it's easy to steal you. Your life can go the other way in a heartbeat. So, don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? In the Old Testament, the Lord put his name on the temple in Jerusalem and it became his forever. In the New Testament, or in your case, the Lord put his name on you and you become his temple forever. Living stones built upon the cornerstone. That's how scriptures talk. And you should think of yourself in that way. You still okay? Now, you would think this is all just talk until you get in big trouble. Then you'll think more highly of it. Grab this other one. It looks like this. One of the things that I most struggle with is the rise in witchcraft among the young. Um, I think I told 20, 20 years ago, uh, the Barnes and Nobles here, in Wheaton, Illinois, of all places, about 20 years ago, the witchcraft section was bigger than the Bible section. Then I knew we were all doomed. And of course, people trading spells on TikTok and white witches presuming they can do good. It's just like, there's no more self-deception than this. There's either demons or there's Jesus. There's nothing in between. Uh, sometimes this can be difficult. So this one right here, okay? We have two remarkable illustrations of the power of the sragas, of being baptized. The sign of the cross put on a person with oil at baptism. The second is found in the life of St. Gregory. I'm, this is long and I don't want to read to you the whole time, but it's a great story. He relates that there was a deacon 
who came to a city, he wanted to go to the bath. Now in this place, there was a man killing demon. Every once in a while, I have trouble with people not believing in man killing demons. I can introduce you to some if you want. The man killing demon haunted the baths. His evil power was exercised after nightfall. So every night he would come and haunt the bath against any who came near. And because of this, the baths were not used after sunset. They got tired of cleaning up the bodies in the morning. You would too. The workers revolted, they went on strike. Nobody in the baths after dark. The deacon came, he said to the guard, let me in. The guard said, no, you'll die. The deacon said, no worries, open the door. Look, I stink, let me in. And so the deacon's like, hey, it's your, or the, the, the guy says, hey, it's your funeral. And he lets him in, right? The deacon insisted, the guard gave him the key. Scarcely had he taken off his clothes and entered then all kinds of terrors were evoked by the demon, phantoms of all sorts. This is commonplace, the, 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 Satan's biggest interest is in scaring you to debilitate you. Phantoms of all sorts appeared in a mixture of flame and smoke, striking his gaze. It's Halloween, it's everybody's front yard right now. Striking his gaze with the forms of men and animals, hissing in his ears, coming so near he could breathe on them, spread, spreading themselves in a circle around his body. This is every horror movie you've ever watched. But he, protecting himself with the Sragas and invoking the name of Christ, crossed the first room without hindrance in the same way with the second room, new phantoms, another sign of the cross, and finally the deacon had a soak, jacuzzi, whirlpool, special thing. It came out quite calmly to the astonishment of the guard. There you go. So if you're in trouble, you make the sign of the cross and you carry on with your life. It'll all be okay. You belong to Christ. Questions about any of that? You still okay? See now, don't be as meek as you were last week. I have, I have secret messages from some of you over here, but you know, you should think about yourself as the place where the Holy Spirit lives. You should thank God every day that the Holy Spirit is inside you and you should nurture him. Say thanks, bless him. But that of course is just one way among many that uh, the scriptures talk about those who are baptized. Do you know other ways? Can you think of other ways? Anybody? You be brave. Thanks for taking the lead, you seminary guys and pastors. Okay, good. Deaconesses in the crowd looking for help here. None forthcoming. I guess I'll make the sign of the cross to protect myself against your forays. So um, any other ways? Any other ways you think about? Well, last week, go. Grafted. Grafted is one, yes, that you're grafted into. Can you, you gave me a biological spin. Can you, can you, humanize that for me, grafted or how else? If you're talking about plants, you graft. If you're talking about human beings, you talk about being born or born again. Now, John's gospel is beautiful at the beginning. In the beginning was the word, the word was made flesh, the word was God, the word was with God. and. He comes to visit his people, right? And then about verse 12 in John chapter one, after you hear the Christmas story, he says, he did this so you could become children of God, right? It's John 1:12. And then you remember Nicodemus appears already in John chapter three, he comes to Jesus by night. There's the questions about why he does that. Is he scared? Does it just had a long work day at overtime? Zoom finished up at 5.30, you know, why does he come? He comes in and he says to Jesus, hey, I'm kind of serious about this disciple thing, what should I do? And Jesus says, you should be born again. And he says, my mother already did that once and I don't think it's gonna be practical. And then Jesus says, I thought you were a smart guy. And then he says, come on, I'm, I'm trying to learn something here. And Jesus says, you should be born of water and the spirit. And then you get 
Protestant nervousness about separating those two things, but Jack, who's in seminary, will tell you that in the Greek, there's a single preposition for both bits. That means then you're two parts of one thing, so water and the spirit can't ever be separated. So when you get it in the water, you get the spirit. And then when people are speaking in tongues, that's a different conversation, which is a good conversation to have. It's just not the baptismal conversation. So you're baptized, and when you're baptized, you get born again. Now, again, if you go with Calliope to Greece and to Turkey, she'll take you to a museum in Istanbul, and you walk in and you go, huh. And literally stacked up outside the museum because, you know, whatever people say, Christians are very oppressed in Turkey and things go to ruin and are excavated and are never repaired. So we go to this museum and literally outside the museum, there are baptismal fonts about as big as each of the tables and they're sitting just the way these are sitting. And guess what shape they're in? Cross is one. There was a couple of crosses there. The occasion, so the cross means Jesus and the occasional round one for eternity. Sorry? There were some eight-sided ones. But the majority there were in the shape of a woman's uterus. Imagine trying to pitch that at a voters' meeting. <laughs> but it's just clear what you're, it's clear what you're looking at, and you kind of go, huh, I wonder why they did that. And of course, then it's obvious why they did do that. Because you're born again, and they didn't want you to miss it. Of course you're born on the eighth day. Of course you're born into eternity. Of course you're born from the cross. But you're also literally born again. You become a child of God at the font, right? So now you've got a couple of things going on. You're grafted or born again. You become a child and then also an adopted child of God. That's how the scriptures talk, both as adoption, as a child. Don't you know um, you belong to Jesus uh, or you belong to the Father? You're adopted as a, as a child of God. That's um, Ephesians 1, 5. Could you just look that up for me because I know you're facile. It talks about you being not just grafted in, which is how you get grafted into the vine, right? You take one vine and you put it with the other vine and they grow together. That's the way to talk about it. Is it. Do I have it right? Is it 1-5? Yeah, can you just read it for me? He predestined us for adopting to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. There you go. Just pause right there because I can't do very much. He predestined us, so he always had this idea from forever. And as sons, you shouldn't say, take too much offense at that. That's the, that was the cultural way of, say, of saying billionaire. He adopted us as billionaires. He adopted us as sons means you get everything, especially the firstborn son, right? He adopted, he predestined us, he adopted us as sons. What was just the last little bit there? To himself. To himself. Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. There we go. Is there more? Should I have you do more? According to the purpose of his will. Yeah, this is what he wanted. He always wanted you home. I told you last week there's only one story in Scripture. Jesus wants all his children home again, every last one of them. So you can also talk about this as death and resurrection. You can talk about this as being baptized. You can talk about this as having the Holy Supper. Jesus wants you home. And of course, now things start to make sense because in a little while, in a few weeks, Jesus, your brother, will teach you a prayer about God, your father. That'll be nice. So you can sort of act like, or when it goes badly for you, Jesus will tell you a story about the prodigal son and how the father looks out on those who've erred and waits for them to come to their senses to come home. And when they come home, he doesn't do this, which is standing operating procedure. 
in the church. No, no. If you've come home, you've already heard this. What you need is this. And so the church needs to be a place where people who come feel this. We should be careful. Oftentimes people have already heard this. They come broken, they come wounded, they come outcast, they come poor. They come because this is the last resort and it's incredibly brave of people to walk across the, across the threshold. So it's important for you all to be welcoming to them because Jesus is welcoming to them. So there you go. Just one more thing. So we did this, this has been both a womb, right? So it's a place where you're born, but then also take seriously, this is a place that's a tomb where you die and rise. So if you go downstairs and you look at the font tomorrow, you'll, we could walk down, but it would take too much time. The font here is round. It could be a cross, it could be a uterus, it could be, uh, be eight-sided. Ours is round for eternity, but underneath it is spooky stuff. There's a grate where the water goes. How many sides? Six sides. The devil's number. Right there at the font. Adam gets made on the sixth day God rests on the seventh day, and after that, everything literally goes to hell. It is completely ruined. On this, the, the human beings ruined everything, and then the devil's, name, the devil's number becomes 666. Multiplied evil. If you see a six, you should be wary. So now you go down to the font, and it has six sides. Why is that? It's because Jesus is the one who conquers death and brings life. And so beyond that, there are eight bursts. Why eight? Anybody know? Because eight is the holy number. In John's Gospel, Jesus doesn't rise on the first day of the week. He rises on the eighth day of the week. It's a do-over. Seven plus one is eight. And so early on in the church they said, your baptism is your eighth day, it is your resurrection. And then you'll also notice that just around that there is a red band of marble, the color of Jesus' blood. And when you go to the altar, you'll see again a red band of marble around the entire altar because what you get here is nourished here. So you get baptized once, then you move into the congregation, and then you take the Holy Supper again and again and again. What was given in baptism is nourished at the altar. It's all part of the same thing. Which brings us to our very first brave question. This brings me to my very favorite game in the church, You Be Me. So we will now try to figure this out. It is emphasized, who me? That we believe in only one baptism. Or we can blame that on the creed, Milena. Tomorrow you'll say, one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. If someone in later life with no way to know if he or she was baptized, this is so good, as a baby, is it a sin if he or she to be baptized again? The floor is open. Let's play you be me. What happens if you have somebody come along and they don't know if they were baptized? You can also complicate this by saying they were, this is a true story, baptized in a cult out in the desert by their parents, that's happened here, or um, people whose parents were bums, so they have no idea if they were brought up in the church, that's happened here, or people who got baptized in some name other than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we've had that one too. Oh, Alvaro, this is gonna be hard for you, there's so many of these troubles. So what do you say? What and then we have always youth group kids who go to some, some other more exciting youth group where they say, Baptized in a font, 
round and six and eight and poof in a tie? No, we could do it in a river next to a campfire and sing some songs. It's going to be so beautiful. It'll be the real thing. Don't worry, our youth group leader's been here three weeks. <laughs> so now what do we do? This is such a nice question. This is such a nice What do you say? What would you play UBB? What, what, what would you say? You know enough to answer this now. Or maybe not, but you can sort of figure it out. Seminary people and pastors are forbidden from playing. Wives are exempt, as they are in all things. You have a special place among the saints and angels. So you can do whatever you want, anytime. As long as you don't do it with Kirby, because that would be two against one. Is she even here today? Oh, she is here. I should be a little more careful. <laughs> it was dark when I left. I didn't, I didn't. We drove separately. Okay, so what do you say? You got an answer here? What would you say? If somebody comes to you and says, sits down in my office and says, I, I don't know, I don't know. Amen. This, you think this is a big deal? I don't know. If you got a pastoral rule for this, what should we do? What would you say? What would be the Jesus thing, the kindest thing, the loving thing, but the observant thing, the respectful thing, the hey, we're not making this up as we go along thing, what would you say? Got an idea? This is actually kind of a, it's a hard, hard answer. Hard to get there. Claudia? No. No. Gideon? No. No. Sorry, I'm writing a video game to make you rich, Pastor, like you said. I'm Gideon's angel investor. Just, just so you know, don't any of you elbow me out of the way, because when Gideon gets rich with the next Minecraft, I'll have 51%. It's going to be fabulous. <laughs> we, we shook on it over a sprinkled donut last year. He may not recall, but you're all my witnesses. So, the pastoral rule would be, nobody is left in doubt. So actually, this is actually a true story. We had a woman uh, from Thailand, somewhere fun and exotic, who said, I was baptized. And we said, fabulous, do you have a baptismal certificate? No. Do you have any witnesses? No. Do you remember who did it to you? No. Do you remember where it was done? No. Then we're sort of saying, now we're on, the ice is getting thinner. And then we said, go through, go home and dig through your archive, see what you've got. She comes back with a picture of everybody smiling post-baptism. We said, well, that's good enough for Jesus. So we didn't baptize her. But then other times when people are um, unsure, left in doubt, the rule is the pastor should never create doubt and a pastor should never leave anyone in doubt. And so in that case, we would baptize. In this case, we would baptize. If we could certainly, and we would do it um, by the book, and then there's no question, and then we throw ourselves on the mercy of the Lord. On the other hand, my smart-alecky Wheaton answer to people who get rebaptized is, I'm sure you could guess this about me because being a smart-aleck is my spiritual gift, Jesus got it right the first time. And it's a bit critical of him to do it again. So nobody should be left in doubt, but we also don't sort of goof around with it either. There's this kind of middle thing. You okay with that? Okay, good, you can all vote in the next assembly. Now... I got a second question. I'm looking for somebody to own this. Don't worry, it'll be to your advantage. This came anonymously last week at the end, although I have done handwriting analysis, and, and chat GPT makes it so much easier. What about the order belief and then baptism? Yeah, what about that? What about that? This is an interesting question because there can always be so much more behind this. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. What do we do with that? Got some ideas? Don't be so... Jesus does it to you. Now we're getting somewhere. Anybody who starts their sentence with Jesus must be on the right track. So she started by saying, Jesus does it to you. That's going to get some traction. Whenever you're struggling, start talking about Jesus. Jesus does the verbs. So Jesus does it to you, we could start there. But what is it that he does to you? I'm gonna press you here, because I know you're smart and you know stuff. You take a baby. 
Have you seen the end of The Godfather, number one, where they baptize the baby? It's the best, right? There's like a cardinal, but he's probably on the take, and Michael is there, and you know, there's another deacon, and everybody else is here. And of course, at the same time, he's becoming godfather for the child, right? They're killing every other boss. So he's becoming godfather of the mob at the same time. The most beautiful thing is the priest carries on as if there's nothing more important in the whole world than that child. Just watch it sometime. He proceeds in Latin. He doesn't look around at anybody else. The child is put before him. Salt on the tongue, spits, oil, you know, blesses, baptizes, and goes home like nothing. All these other people are busy with everything else. The politics and the murder and the crime and the power. And he baptizes that child as if it was the only thing in life that mattered. He gives the child something now. I know you're a Godfather fan. You can even recite things from the late part of you know, series three. So, but my question would be, he did something to him. What did he do to him? He marked him, that's good. Say it again. Yes, he put Jesus, it's like this. In the confessions it says, Faith is the hand that holds. Now, all of a sudden, every good Lutheran tries to, I know, you see that? I got there and I got back. Every good Lutheran tries to put their name in here. My hand is holding on really tightly. I'm really good at this. I was baptized. I love to decide for Jesus. No, no. Now, when I do this at Wheaton College, it's 100 bucks. But I know you, and besides, I'm running out of money. You know, I'm a pensioner now. I've got to be more careful. Well, I'm almost there too, so I need the Well, money. you're the winner here. Okay, watch this. That's faith. That would be unfaith. <laughs> faith is the hand that holds the gifts, right? Who has a hundred bucks? I don't know, guys who run auto body shops, uh, airplane fixer guys, you know, former insurance executives. I, I can think of tons of places. Chemical manufacturers, metal guys, people who, oh, there's everybody. What'd you do with it? Good. I know it's a little shift in hands there, but that's okay. I mean, there's a, yeah, yeah, don't hide it under a bushel. That's right, right. So the thing is, is faith is, we always think about faith as, because you're all children of the enlightenment, no matter how you protest, you, you think about faith as something you do. I believe. I'm making this decision. I'm really confident. I feel really... Stop talking about yourself. You're bugging me. Jesus gave me a gift. Jesus loves me. Jesus made me his child. Jesus raised me from the dead. Jesus gave me new birth. In fact, one of my favorite stories, Jesus came near. Now you remember, Elizabeth gets pregnant. And then later, her cousin Mary gets pregnant. And then Mary comes to visit her and saying, this is weird, you're old and I'm a virgin. What is it, pregnancy month in America? But you remember what happens as Mary gets closer to Elizabeth. John the baptizer is in Elizabeth's womb. Jesus is in Mary's womb. They get closer. They get closer. Jesus gets closer. John leaps because Jesus is close to him. Is that faith at six months in utero? Yes, it is. See, we always think about, I told you about my grandmother last week, right? She had to answer all the questions in German all by herself at age of 14 or 16, and then maybe she could have the Lord's Supper every other week or just twice a year because you know if you have it too much, it'll ruin it, contrary to what Jesus says over and over and over again. But we often have better ideas than Jesus. You have to admit this. So, there's all kinds of faith. If you have a child, and you hold a child like this, and the child cries, if you pull the child close, the child believes in you. The child knows it's warm and safe and dry. 
fathers who are complete goofs and tend to hold their children like footballs because, you know, they're portable. <laughs> but if you can find a mother and hand off the child, what happens? Everything is fine. Because why? The child believes in its mother. So you thought belief had to do with being in a rural Iowa parish 100 degrees on an August afternoon and answering all 497 questions in the catechism in German by yourself, scared to death. Because, you know, that's what somebody told you what belief was. Yeah, they should read the Bible. Because John believes in Jesus at six months. To believe is to be given to. So what happens is, even now, when I talk to you, and I tell you that Jesus loves you, he loves you so, he loves you so much. There, it happened, and there's nothing you can do about it. You can either say, thank you very much, that would be faith, or Jesus loves me, or Jesus touched me, or Jesus baptized me, or Jesus gave me his body and blood, or Jesus cares for me, or Jesus made me his child, or Jesus rose, raised me from the dead. You can say all those things, which are all faith, or you could say, where is it? Oh, I'll just put it down here on the table for a while and go out with all my gnarly friends, my little hoodlum friends, and I'll be back later in time for church on Friday. See, this is the kind of, this is what makes Jesus crazy. People like that. She must be a billionaire. So, right? Faith says, yeah, that happened. Yeah, Jesus touched me, yeah, Jesus baptized me. And unfaith says, it happened, but it was a nothing. It didn't matter. I don't care. I'll put it down and come back to it later. Right. Catechism. How can water do such great things? It's not water alone, but it is water with comprehended with, uh, they changed the word since I was a boy, now I have to go back and memorize it again. Or, alternately, I could just retire. So, uh, a couple of possibilities, right? It actually happened to you. Look at Marge. They put the name on her all those years ago. It must have been 18, maybe 19 years ago. And it's stuck. Do you have a question? Well, see, that would be the question, right? Yeah, so believe and baptize. And people will also say, well, that's the chronological or linear order. Uh, well, the thing is, is um, there are some people who believe first and then get baptized. And there are some people who baptize and express their belief later. Uh, it comes in all ways, right? So Jesus, if you think about the gospel as touch, we talked about this. If you think about Jesus touching you, we've started with... Jesus touching you on the skin. So Jesus is always as close as your skin, right? But then, Jesus also, sometimes, the first crack he gets at people is he touches them on the ear. Your parents were bums. And they never got you baptized. Somebody said, you seem like such a nice woman, you should be baptized. I mean, you probably got some sins. That would be the reason for that. We'll keep the nice stuff, but come and get forgiven. You say, thank you very much. So for you then, you get touched on the ear, and then you get touched on the skin, and then you get touched on the tongue. And of course, the tradition of the church is, until you get touched on the ear and the skin, you don't get touched on the tongue, right? So the Eucharist is the last thing that happens. So usually it'd be very odd for somebody to have their first touch of Jesus on their tongue, although I'm sure it's happened at one point or another. Thank you, very nicely played. What else? Yes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So somebody says, your husband says to you, you know, Jesus really loves you, right? Or, um, Jesus gave you to me and you're the most wonderful wife ever and mother too. You say, thank you very much. And you know, he could never muster that up himself. That came straight from the Lord. <laughs> right? What else have you got? You got questions about this? You shouldn't roll over so easily. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. Yes, same Jesus. He got Jesus in his ear, right? Or Jesus gave himself to him by ear, right? So we can think about it in a law way that these are all things you got to tick off, right? You tick this and you tick this and you tick this and if you don't get all your ticks in, you're going straight to hell. But that's some other kind of Jesus as you observe, right? So the thief on the cross, Jesus says, hey, you and me in paradise today. And then the, the thief said, well, I guess we saved the best for last, right? It's very, very nicely done, right? Especially um, in this time of great anxiety, which plays directly into Satan's temptation or interest in scaring you. Your identity as someone who's been baptized, who wears the sign of the cross, is super, super uh, important. You know, you're completely protected. Back in the good old days when I was young like Alvaro, I had a baptism and I have to go to the boys' table for this because you know, this is the sort of thing. Although it was, a, was a girl who turned out to be, frankly, okay. Back in the old days when I had big ideas like Pastor Nelson, I did, th there was, when I was teaching baptism, I said, and you can appreciate this from your business, baptism is like shrink wrap. And so I did, in fact, insert straws into her nose. And then, as I taught the lesson, I wrapped her in shrink wrap. And then all you need is a hairdryer. And you know that stuff comes up really tight. Yeah, I know you say, oh, no, now. But I was young, like Alvaro, and I made mistakes. And we weren't sued, but she never forgot it. You're protected, right? Or I did actually, in the good old days, I used to, um, I, had a, I had a boy in my, this is great, man. Every, every family has secrets. So in my first con congregation, I had, uh, I, I, I had families that were shamed. I had a boy in my confirmation class. His great shame, the great family shame, the great family secret they wouldn't tell anybody was that Axel Rhodes was his cousin. And nobody should be listening to that Guns N' Roses music. Anyway, that kid one day, I said, you know, and this was the old day where I could do stuff like this. I said, you know, Jesus puts that mark on there. I remember it was a big fat purple mark. I put it right there on his forehead. And then I did something that Salvaro's done. I looked down and I said, oh, snap. I thought that was the erasable marker. So he went home with Sharpie, purple Sharpie on his forehead. And he went to school the next day in high school with Purpy Sharp on his forehead right there. His dad, who was a high school teacher, thought he was hilarious. Again, dodging a bullet. So, uh, but of course, now you can see I've calmed down and been broken. And so it's just, uh, you know, this is kind of, you know. One last thing I'll do for you, just so you. Um... Yes! So, say a parent is baptized. Yeah. Yeah. Is the child that's not baptized still surrounded by Jesus? Nice. Okay. Nice. This is a great. Yeah, so here's the thing. This is, a, this is such a beautiful question because it opens up so many things. And it's very practical, right? Because our lives are kind of messy and you never quite know what's cooking. Uh, so let me just press that. You never quite know what's cooking. So people often come to me and they want me to decide. One of the things I resist doing is deciding. Theoretically, I know, of course, that um, unbaptized folks are in grave danger. And, uh, you know, hell is when you get your way forever. Right? Or as C.S. Lewis says, um, Christians say to God, thy will be done. And God says to the, he the heathens, thy will be done spooky stuff. But now you um, engage sort of human weakness and then also see broader community. We didn't actually put that up there, but one of the ways we could talk about this is being a people or a community, right? And in any community there are stronger people and weaker people and people who get things done and people who procrastinate and people who go crazy and people who exert. It's always like it's 
Just think about family Christmas at, at my house, not your house. So, um, you know, what exactly happens to the child? My answer, which may sound like a dodge, but is the purest thing I want to say, which is, is baptize the child and eliminate the question. Are they surrounded by saints and angels? Yes, of course. Does Jesus want them? Does he love them? Of course. The question is, you know, do they love them back if they can't quite get to the font, right? You kind of go, you know, and I know life is fraught, but I also know, and what I've tried to describe to you is, you don't really exist until you're baptized, right? So the answer would be, get the kid baptized and eliminate the question. To rule, you know, what would happen if the house burns down is sort of a, that's a seminary kind of exam question. But <laughs> praise be to Jesus, here I am, extra seminary. So, you know, uh, is that, now that may be unsatisfying to you, but I actually want it to be satisfying, which is if you know about this situation personally, I would say to you, go give them a good word. Go rub their ears with the gospel. Because the thing is, is not knowing is its own kind of torture, right? Yes, please. There was a question from the table. Yes. Uh, that had to do with, we put water. Yes. Sometimes we put oil. Yes, we do. Why do we put ashes sometimes, once a year? What kind of action are we talking about? Ash. Oh, ashes. I'm sorry. Why do we put ashes? Well, because you're a damn sinner, that's why. So, um, the, the words, the words, as you know, are... You are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is straight biblical stuff. Bit law-minded, but truer than true, and holy, right? But there, if you need to say the other side of the law, which would be the gospel, if you put that in the sign of the cross, that would be a nice Waltherian way to balance things out for a boy like you. Um, or maybe to let grace abound more and more, right? Sin abounds, grace abounds more and more. So to put it in the sign of the cross softens the blow. So I'd say to you, and you may, this may not have occurred to you lately because you're young and strong and newly married and on top of the world and doing a PhD and the smartest guy in the room, you know what, you're gonna drop dead. And once a day you should kind of think about that and then you should neutralize it with the sign of the cross and you should enjoy your wife and your dissertation and the Holy Eucharist, and where God has put you, and your friends, and the people who love you, and Brazil, and on and on and on. That should be your life today, right? But this is a reality, that you'll die, but press all the way out to the notion that death is God's servant too. But it's a great question. That's a beautiful question. Anything else? Jesus loves you so, and you are safe. Safe as if you were in shrink wrap. <laughs> safe as if you had ashes on your forehead. You're safe. Safe as if you made a hundred bucks and didn't let go of it. <laughs> Thank God. It took, enough, it took long enough. <laughs> and you should have confidence then about yourself and then about, you know, other people and to those who don't know, you might want to invite them in. This is actually a pretty good deal. Uh, it's the best offer you're going to have today, right? So if you need baptism, you should already start talking to us about that. Or if you know somebody that does, if you're going to have a baby, uh, let's go, right? Um, Kirby had twins on a Friday. The nurse said, oh, you came in right after midnight, so you have to go home tomorrow. Your insurance won't pay. And then we thought, well, as long as we're home, I guess we go to church and get baptized. So then people said to her, Whose children are those? She, oh, children. I thought you just had them on Friday. I did. Okay, so she, okay, your mother might have said, what's wrong with that guy? She might have said that. That's true. God rest her soul. Uh, but, you know, the third day is when Jesus rose too, so there you go. Uh, anyway, all right, let's, let's pray. Take a catechism if you don't have one. Poke around. So next week, we're not going to meet. Take a week off. 
then come back the next week. We'll go three times before Thanksgiving. Now it'll suddenly be Thanksgiving, okay? So gather, we're gonna talk a little, but then immediately we're gonna go into how much Jesus loves you. I love you, I love you, I love you, if you could just remember that. And the forgiveness that he brings for you for, you know, every last one of your little hoodlum sins. So we'll, we'll talk about that next, okay? Now, the other thing is, is don't despair. We've done one line in the bulletin. We only have 27 pages to go. We should be able to make it by, I don't know, 2027 if I live that long. So don't worry, it's all going to be fine. Lord, remember us in your kingdom. Teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, see you in church. Bye.